Welcome to the Honest EP podcast. We are the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie, I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches and joining me as always is allied health business owner and business mentor, Andrew. How are you, Andrew? I'm very well, how are you? I'm very well. Shall we crack a beer? We shall. Very nice. What are we drinking? It's an old favourite. I don't think we've ever had this beer exactly on the podcast. We've had another beer from this brand. It's a Bolter XPA. It is, what we've just found out, it's both of our favourite beers. There we go. It's just beautiful mm. in every sense of the word. It's, it's quite strong, but it doesn't taste very strong. Yeah. 5% alcohol, so one and, a, one and a half standards in a tinny. Um, but it tastes no different to your Lashes or your, you know, Young Henry's Pale or your, you know, your normal kind of pale ales that are going around. Mm. But it has a little bit of extra kick in it. It does. And it's a beautiful can. Nice, light bluey green. Actually, question for you. Oh. Is that blue or green? Is that more blue or more green? That's got to be green, right? That's got to be green. See, I think it's blue. I think that's more blue. Controversial. When, okay, when people buy the XPA or go to like any pub in Australia, because it's bloody everywhere at the moment, tell us if you think, or think to yourself, uh, if you think the the colour at the bottom is more blue or more green. Andrew thinks more green, I think more blue. Very good. Very, very good. That's the kind of deep, insightful thinking we want people to take away from this chat. What are we chatting about today? We have some some hot topics uh, that came up last episode with Jasper at the end and we had our blood boil just a little bit when he brought up a topic and that was uh, specifically EPs going back and doing a Masters of Physio without actually going to workforce or trying EP first. And we thought it was a good opportunity for us to bring up some hot topics uh, and lay out our perspectives on them and then what the general perspectives are and then put our spin on it, give our take uh, and give some people some more food for thought so that when they do come across these uh, issues or these problems, they can have awareness of some other perspectives and some other ideas they can try before they go down a path that they may not be able to come back from. The, the three topics we have are um, why are people doing physio masters straight after finishing EP, whether undergrad EP or, or masters of EP. That's number one. Number two is why are people leaving allied health so quickly? And the third one is why employers, or sorry, or do employers care about your additional qualifications? Uh, you, you have more <laughs> you have more insight onto the last one than I do as an employer. Uh, but we'll start at the first one and we'll work our way through. Let's go from the first one, Andrew. Why are people doing physio masters straight after finishing EP? So this is this is for for clarity that people are not even going into the workforce. So they've mm. finished their EP and they sort of go straight into physio without even testing the waters of what EP 
What was high? Oh. I think there's, there's obviously a few reasons why people do it. Um, you know, there are, there are pathways in, in physiotherapy that are reserved for physiotherapy, right? So there's the ability to specialise in, in a particular area that might be, you know, very important to that particular person. As in with a title. With a title. So whether that is a women's health title mm. or a uh, cardiorespiratory mm. title. If you want to percuss people for a living. <laughs> if you want to play the you human drums. <laughs> play the human drums and the drums give a bit back to you after you play them. <laughs> hey, someone needs to do it. Somebody has to do it. And, and you know, if that somebody's you, well done. Mm. Like, full credit to you. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that's, uh, for some people, it's, it's a very clear pathway that they want to use EP as a stepping stone into a Masters of Physio because that is where they want to go, right? I'd probably suggest the rest of this conversation is probably not inclined towards those people. Mm. It's mm. more towards those that feel like they need a physio qualification in order to gain credibility mm. in the workforce. And then have access to the, the special skills mm. that physios have that EPs don't. Mm. These skills being the ability to diagnose, mm. the ability to learn the special tests to diagnose things, um, to do the, the manual and the passive therapies that an EP doesn't have... Um, uh, the scope of practice to do these sorts of things. Mm. How special are those special tests? Look, there's very little research to show us that they're special at all. Um, and like, I can't quote any on hand at the moment, um, but if you look them up, and this is for everywhere, this is for lower back, this is for shoulder, this is for hip, this is for knee. Um, for a lot of these conditions... Uh, such as impingements um, and bursitis and these sorts of things, the special tests actually have really, really low specificity and really, really low reliability as well. So mm. what we mean by that is that when they've done studies where they've got uh, professionals to do these tests uh, in order to identify what the uh, correct diagnosis is, uh, the professionals cannot consistently diagnose the same condition as themselves or as other professionals as well. Mm. So there's no inter or intra uh, practitioner reliability or specificity with it, uh, which, which is a huge problem <laughs> that like we're using these tests that are supposed to single out the one diagnosis and then you can follow the treatment plan for that one diagnosis. But we can't, reliably do that and so this is interesting now right because 10 15 20 years ago with those very specific treatment pathways hmm. coming from a diagnosis there was a you know significant manual therapy component hmm. to it there were very intricate exercises that one must perform in a very uh, predetermined way in order hmm. to progress from one quote stage to another stage of rehab mm. whereas the the pendulum is swifting more towards exercise mm. 
And so physios now, uh, particularly more, more recent graduates, are, are moving away from passive treatments and specific testing mm. and more towards using other methods to determine when somebody progresses in their mm. rehab pathway. Mm. Absolutely. Things like, okay, let's do some tests to see what aggravates the symptoms. Let's do some movements to see what relieves those symptoms. And then let's build a progressive um, movement program to, to move it, load it, and then go from there. Mm. And it's a lot more simple often uh, than what it can be made out to be with all these huge batteries of tests. Mm. So I know, um, I know a lot of VPs, a lot of VP students when I was studying, but also now uh, we have students come through as well um, where they'll express these sentiments of, oh, I just don't feel like I, I know enough on, on how to diagnose uh, what's going on with people. And so I don't know what to do then. And so I need to go and do a Master of Physio so I can learn that. And then what people are actually learning in Physio is don't do these special tests anymore. They're not as special. Um, just, you know, work out what hurts and what doesn't hurt, what their capacity is right now, and then learn how to progressively load it. Mm. And so they're going, I need to do what Physios do. And then Physios are learning not to do what old Physios do. So <laughs> So what a waste of time. So what a waste of time. Yeah. Right? Uh, we have provided universities giving us the skills to understand how to work in a gym mm. and how to communicate effectively mm. with people. Mm. Doing or, or spending years learning how to diagnose mm. is actually not the most crucial thing in mm. somebody's rehabilitation. Because a, di a diagnosis doesn't equal a certain rehab protocol. Mm. You know, there are obviously some acute traumatic injuries that require a certain protocol, often uh, to recover. But the vast majority of things that we'll see in private practice musculoskeletal injuries are more general. More general aches and pains and that sort of thing. And yes, we could use some special tests to either unreliably diagnoses a certain condition and then we will put on that a specific rehab protocol, which we didn't really need to do. We could have just started by doing the rehab for that person in front of us, that individual. Mm. That could be a completely individual rehab program. It's very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. So as an EP, and, and like, I can definitely reflect on, on my journey here as well, right? Like, there was a, a time early on in my career where I wanted to know the answer, right? And then you do these, these CPD courses where it gives you, like, you know, you do this test, it gives you this, this mm. response, therefore you do X, Y, and Z. Mm. It's quite comforting mm. to have that as a... Because it, on the flip side, it's, it can be a little bit daunting mm. if you don't have this framework in your mind when mm. you're going into an assessment with someone that mm. you know very little information about mm. how you're then going to assist them mm. and help them. And I think you said it really well before that it's really about looking at the person in front of you. Mm. 
and coming from a place of just because you know somebody has a, a particular diagnosis two people could present with that diagnosis very very differently absolutely and so you can't just use the same methodology mm. and expect the same result mm. when your the, the complexities of the individuals mm. uh, are so so different absolutely so I suppose our, our point number one is is don't feel like if you're an EP don't feel like all of these special tests and, and going and spending multiple years learning about diagnosing is necessarily going to help you in private practice with particular clients. Exactly. I don't think that's the validation that you need is another degree on the wall. Also, we've said many, many, many times on this podcast that uni does not teach you everything. But I'll tell you what, it's a book. What a master physio could be is just a bloody expensive CPD course. Like we're talking, you know, 80, 90, $100,000 over two years to learn things that you could learn much better from a good quality CPD course that you do on a weekend and some mentoring from someone. Mm. And just experience in practice, doing some trial and error, you know? with clients yeah what a way better way to do it you know going back to uni you're gonna have to trawl through a bunch of shit that is not necessary for you you're also gonna have to go and do all the stuff that you may not want to do like percussing people (laughs) you may get one musk placement maybe maybe if you're lucky maybe and they might not practice in the way that you want to practice tell me way better go and observe some good clinicians, whether they're EPs or physios or chiros or osteos, in practice and learn some things from them. Mm. Go and do a CPD course for a couple hundred bucks and learn that. Mm. You could do like 200 CPD courses. 200. That's a lot. For the same price as a physio masters. All right? Imagine how much you could learn from 200 CPD courses. You learn all of these. Yeah. I don't think there are 200. <laughs> Muscles, clinical CPD courses. Oh dear. Okay, so so if somebody sort of is is tossing up this idea, and they say, "Well, yeah, I get all that, Archie. Like that, that's all fine. But but uh, I'll have a better career in physiotherapy. Mm. Right? There's a there's a pathway. Okay. In physio, physio is more known and established established in the community so it will be easier for me to get a job Hmm. Uh, it'll be easier for me to um, to potentially earn what I want to earn Hmm. and uh, help people Hmm. is it? well that's a good question well Andrew you're probably more over the the job salary market for new grad and early practitioners in EP physio and Mozart health what, where is it what is the difference it's not right like working across many allied health professions entry level salaries are plus or minus five percent mm. across the board mm. like it doesn't differentiate significantly Mm. between in this case between an EP and a physio Mm. so from an entry level it's the same Mm. it's the same award 
yeah. right? It's not like there's a different award for physios and EPs. It's the same. Yeah. So we're all starting at the same point. And then you might say, okay, well then, you know, there's greater potential to earn more. Well, I don't know if that's true. Because we all kind of charge the same. Yeah. We all kind of have the same amount of hours in the week. So mm. we're all seeing same amount of patients mm. generating a similar amount of revenue. Mm. There shouldn't really be that much of a difference mm. between physios and EPs as they progress during their career. Mm. So the, the challenge there is... How do you know if you're going to get paid what you deserve to get paid? And, you know, the, it, it's very much at the moment, very much a uh, an employee market where there is a mm. lot of job ads out there mm. and not enough uh, supply to fill that demand. Mm. Um, so if, if your primary motivation as an allied health professional is to be remunerated for your time, it's actually quite a great time mm. to go out there and test the waters and, and see what else is out there. But my inclination is, and, and not even my inclination, the what I see week to week is that remuneration is very similar mm. between many allied health professionals, not just EP and physio. Mm. So that is not going to get you... It's actually going to be a little bit worse for you because now you have this hex step of... Like yeah, I said a, a lot of money. So your your net income at the end of the at the end of the year is could it be affected a lot more for the next you know twenty years? A little bit. Mm. Just just a little just, bit. Just a little bit. Just an extra hundred grand. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think a good sentiment for for things that people should do. You know, as other options instead of considering, or oh, do I have to go back to uni to get what I want? It's like, okay, well, what are the other options? Well, remember that just your first job out of uni, the first workplace you're at, isn't always a reflection of the entire industry or the entire profession. Hmm. And I think this this might help us segue into that next sort of section around why are people leaving allied health in general, hmm. right? Now, there's some data and I, I you know, the the... I don't know the exact source of this data, but again, I think it's it's probably somewhere close to the reality in, in exactly. the landscape, is that by the age of 30, around 80% of physios, physios mm. will leave the profession. Mm. 80%, like that's, that's quite a lot. That's huge. That's ridiculous. And I can't imagine there's like many other industries in the workforce at all that have that rate. And the the most common reasons why people are leaving are lack of career development, inadequate compensation, uninspiring leaders, and lack of meaningful work. And so to your point before around like your first role in the workforce, Mm. if you don't feel like that is a good fit for you as an individual or you're not seeing what that next step might be in your career, Mm. have a look around. Yeah. Because again, 
to my point before, it is very much an employee-driven market mm. at the moment. So if you are if you are 18 to 24 months out and you're sort of getting a little bit itchy about what happens next and what's the next step for me, and either there's some resistance or some pushback from your current employer or it's not clear on what that might look like for you, poke your head around. Mm. You don't have to leave. You don't have to jump ship. Mm. You just have to see what else is out there, mm. which might either open your eyes to actually take a different opportunity or also realise that the place that you're at is actually pretty good. Mm. Mm. Because, you know, like you said before, there are some pretty shonky operators. Absolutely out there and and if you if your experience in the workforce is is just sort of the the one experience that you've currently had mm. it's it's actually a really good thing to go and see what else is out there because it can help you reaffirm actually I am in the right place mm. I am getting support I am getting CPD I am getting a uh, some nurturing from a professional perspective to grow mm. as a practitioner mm. So, if you're not getting career development, look around. Or, go and do it yourself. Yeah. Like, there are lots of CPD courses out there yeah. in how to be a good mentor, mm. and what leadership looks like, and Facebook ads, mm. and anything else. So many Facebook ads. So many Facebook ads. It's ridiculous. Go and have a look. Mm. Because you... While you can be an EP, you can also be something else at the same time. And that skill set would help you as you develop over time. If you're not getting compensated, and, and this is the reason why you think, I know the physio down the road is earning more than me, or I know the EP down the road is on more than I am. Mm. Great. Go and see what the options are. Mm. But then, have a conversation with your current employer or with your current workplace. Because if all of this is internal and you're not speaking to, to, your, to your boss about these things, it's going to be hard for them to know. Like, uni doesn't teach us everything. No. The owners of clinics generally have had the same same yeah. tertiary education mm. and we are very much still learning how to do all this stuff as well. That's it. Oh, how many years was it after you were started running or employing people and running a business? Did you like get business advice or like learn like get proper structured business coaching? It's probably like four or five years yeah. before I started. Yeah, getting getting mentoring in right. business. First bunch of years, you're just kind of going, oh, uh, I don't know, we'll just try this, we'll try this. I don't know, this sounds about right. You don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. I didn't know what a baz was for like five years. <laughs> yeah. And now it's now you realise how important they are because you owe the government money. But but we have to learn these things. Employers have to learn, and you know the the. I suppose this is my key my key message here is if you if you feel like you want to have a look around that's great go and do that but please have a conversation with with the employer 
because they don't know a lot about, you know, structured remuneration career pathways for people if they themselves are quite early on in that mm. that business owner journey. Mm. And just to have a sit down and have a conversation around not even what I want to have now, but this is where I would like to be in you know two or three years' time. Mm. Uh, I want to be earning around this sort of amount or mm. I want to have these sort of responsibilities. Mm. Um, can you help me get to there? Because that's generally the responsibility of yeah. a business owner is to go, okay, well, if somebody wants that, then I need to map out how we can get them there. Mm. Mm. So please just have a conversation. Right, because the worst thing for you, and I don't know if it's happened to you before or not, but is someone comes to you and go, hey, I've taken a job somewhere else, I'm resigning. And you go, what? Uh, had no idea. And it's like, you didn't chat to me, you didn't ask me about you know, why, or are there any options as to why maybe this would be a good place instead? And that you've kind of robbed both of you of the opportunity to, to improve the actual current working situation. Mm-hmm. And you know, whether, whether it feels like it or not, that, that stops growth for a second in your career. Yeah. To, to leave somewhere and start again, well, there's always going to be a bit of sunken cost into, oh, I've got to relearn their systems and their policies and um, how they do everything and their software and these kind of things. Whereas if you could have had that career pathway or that conversation with your employer, your current place, well, maybe that was an opportunity. Mm. Just had to have the conversation first. And to bring this back to EPs in particular, right? Perhaps part of this perception of why I need to go and do my master's in physio is because these career pathways don't exist mm. yet. EP is too small. Mm. We, we couldn't possibly have, you know, businesses or, or companies that could offer non-clinical mm. roles or offer roles that uh, involve mentoring or leadership within mm. an organisation. Mm. Not, not so true. They're coming. They're coming. Well, they're here and then more are coming as well. Yeah. Which is great. I mean, and and that's definitely something that uh, we strive for as well, is we are not against competition in EP, in our area. Because the more EPs, the, the more people getting the word out there about exercise physiology, the better. Mm. Because it builds these opportunities, right? And it keeps more people in the profession, which in turn raises the quality of the service an experience that we can provide. 100%. If, if I'm sitting here as an employer, as an EP and an employer, mm. and I try to try to like go on vendettas against new new companies that have, mm. that have come out, I'm shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. Because there needs to be a greater awareness of EP in the mm. community. Mm. More people, more practitioners is actually a good thing, not mm. a bad thing. Mm. Um, while we don't so much anymore focus on what other people are doing, mm. uh, there's definitely a, a phase that was like, oh, this person's doing this, and oh, mm. we should maybe do that. Now we tend to be a little bit more focused on, well, let's compare us now yeah. to us um, 
you know, a year ago and, and try and improve yeah. internally rather yeah. than focusing externally. And, and visualise us in the future. Yeah. Um, a rising tide floats all boats, mm. right? Um, we should be encouraging more people to... to Start businesses, do do yeah. create create teams and, yeah. and uh, have more impact in the community mm. because as we've said before, mm. this whole landscape of, of rehabilitation mm. is shifting very much towards the way that EPs are taught to yeah. practice and we are the best people to do that. That's it. And, and a good example of that is my job didn't exist three years ago here because the, the EP team didn't wasn't big enough that we needed someone to be a team leader in EP and then enough people came on uh, that you could no longer you know induct everyone and mentor everyone so that the role of a of a head EP came up I was like cool someone has to do this now and then you get to a point where all right now the EPT EP team is you know eight plus it's like all right we need a senior EP as well because it's too much work for one person to lead the whole team. And then as the team grows even more, then there's a need for, for multiple senior EPs. So it just keeps going, right? Mm. And if people leave the profession because they don't see the growth opportunities, then you're robbing the, the business that you work at and yourself of growing into that position and building that position in a place. And those roles don't come about if people stay for a year and go, stay for a year and go. Mm that it doesn't actually allow any growth. It just kind of stagnates things because mm. you build a little bit and then drop, then build a little bit, then drop. Sustained. <laughs> Sustained growth. You can do it. You can do it. It's okay. That's it. And as you sustain, you should be compensated in line with the value that you are giving to your clients and that team mm. as it grows. Mm. So feel, feel welcome to ask for pay rises. Feel mm. welcome to be paid what you deserve. Feel welcome, if that is a, uh, a very one-way conversation, to not go outside EP, to stay within EP, to look at other organisations and, and, you know, speak to colleagues and, and get an idea about what is for, for the, the impact that you're having within your company, mm. how you should be remunerated for mm. that. Because remuneration is important. It's not talked about very much because we don't like it. It's a bit yucky, mm. but it is important. Mm. And if that's the reason why you're thinking about going to physio, because you think you're going to earn more in the long run by mm. being a physio, you're not. It's going to be the same. Four out of five physios leave a profession by the age of 30 and for almost 40% of them, it's because of inadequate compensation. So that's not a reason to jump ship. No. Um, the, the third point on that reason why physios, and I think it's probably relevant to more allied health as that as well, is people leave because of uninspiring leaders, which I thought was an interesting interesting wording for that what does that mean to you i don't know to, to me i just think of it as uh more like ineffective leaders or you know uh not great mentoring these kind of things or no mentoring or no mentoring right yeah 
Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a very interesting term, uninspiring leaders. I don't think it's, you know, we can, you know, we've talked about the role of leadership in allied health. We've talked about the influence of mentors um, on previous pods. And I think to that point, I'd, I'd listen to those podcasts and listen to the importance of those things and finding them uh, and go through that. And I think the, the leaders come from, you know, if, if you don't have an, an inspiring leader, why not you? Why don't you do the work to become one? Mm. And something we talked about on the leadership pod was uh, that you don't need the title of uh, a leadership role to be a leader or to mentor or to do these things. You, you need to start exhibiting these attributes and these traits and you know, helping people beforehand. Mm. Um, and you can go out and learn how to do that. And you can practice that and you can you know, offer up your time and your knowledge to help other people, mm-hmm. whether that is within your own workplace or more broadly your profession, share your knowledge, mm-hmm. be, an, be, be a more inspiring leader. That's if it. there aren't some, then obviously we need some. Mm-hmm. And rather than go, ah, there are none here, I'm out. It's like, well, clearly there's space for it and people want it. So why don't you do something about it? Mm. Yeah, I find that I find that that concept challenging, uninspiring leaders. I feel like the challenge is that so many allied health professionals, so many EPs got into this role because they want to help people, mm. right? And growing businesses and growing teams is just an extension of that. It's just like instead of now helping clients improve mm. their health, I'm now helping the team to you know mentor and clinical and, mm. and within a, you know looking more more broadly than that um, into their you know what's meaningful to their personal lives and, and their um, their CPD um, I, you know putting putting these YouTube people on a bit of a pedestal and saying like I want a leader like Simon Sinek or I want a leader like them because he's going to motivate me to mm. be a better person it's like well I, I don't know how true that is. I mm. feel like you, like you said before, if you personally have an inclination to want to help more people or help other practitioners, like, do it. Yeah. Just do it. Start a podcast. Start a, mm. start a, a peer networking group. Start yeah. a, a opportunity to improve the health or improve the, the value of your services in the community like mm. nothing's stopping you from doing that just right. put your hand up and go and do it right. you don't need an inspiring leader in order to do those things i imagine trying to read between the lines here what would be and the characteristics of an uninspiring leader perhaps might lean towards determining somebody's value within an organization based off Mm. numbers mm. right mm. mentoring based mm. off PBA mm. and saying Archie mm. your PBA is four it needs to be six mm. can you do better please mm. right that is uninspiring yeah look at this person be more like them yeah Ugh. uninspiring um, 
not having CBD mm. aren't inspiring. Not having a leader who is uh, walking the talk, mm. right? Uh, a mismatch between what they're saying and what they're doing. Mm. Sure, aren't inspiring. Uh, but again, like, pop your head up, mm. have a little look around. Mm. Don't feel like, particularly from an EP perspective, don't feel like physios are any different there. Mm. Because there's probably just as many uninspiring physio leaders as there are mm. anything else. And there's, you know, three times as many physio clinics as there are EP clinics. So it's going to be just as hard to find a good leader in physio as it is in EP, mm. as it is in any other profession. All right? Just the size of the profession doesn't mean that there's more good stuff. It just means they've been doing it for longer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The last point on that one uh, that's really relevant for us to talk about is people are leaving because of a lack of meaningful work. And look, the, the reason we get into health is because of meaningful work. And that's really what everyone wants. Everyone wants is meaningful work. And if you're not finding it where you are now, mm. I, I'd think about whether you think that is the entire profession uh, that is not meaningful to you or it is the work that you are currently doing right now. Because mm. we've, we've had that change here with multiple staff members um, within the same workplace where they've been feeling tired and you know not motivated and aren't enjoying the caseload that they're seeing, the people they're seeing. And it's because it wasn't meaningful to them. There wasn't, the, they weren't the kind of people that they wanted to see. So then it wasn't like, oh, well, I don't think EP's for you then. Mm. <laughs> it was more, uh, okay, well, who do you want to see? Let's go through your ideal client. Let's go through your desire statements and have a look at it. It's like, oh, what, what is meaningful to you? And how can we see more of those people? Or how can you have more of those experiences? Mm-hmm. And things can turn really quickly, really, really quickly. Sometimes it was literally changing like two clients a week that were draining and they were not enjoyable and they were not ideal for that person and shifting them in some way or another. And then suddenly it's like, ah, this is so much nicer. I'm enjoying it. You know, way better. Just like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's a really simple fix and I... I, I'd be hesitant to, to jump to, to huge conclusions that it's like, nah, it's this workplace or nah, it's this profession uh, mm. or nah, it's this industry that I don't like. Maybe it is, but at least exhaust the smaller, uh, less life-changing uh, options before you make these huge, huge decisions, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I can definitely reflect on times where, particularly where um, we've had a, a transition with a team member, hmm. where you know a new team member's come on board and they've just adopted the caseload of hmm. the, the previous practitioner. And uh, there can be a stage there where it's like, oh, like, particularly if, if a lot of that caseload is, for example, DBA hmm. or work cover or NDIS or NDIS it can be a bit 
uh, challenging mm. initially to to find that meaning there if that's not the ideal client that you want to work with. The solution then is, like you said, is not to jump ship. The solution mm. then is to have a chat with with your uh, mentor or your your team leader or whatever mm. that is for you, and say like, hey, would it be possible to get some a little a little bit more diversity in my caseload? Mm. Could we have a chat about perhaps? Uh, you know, try to focus on this particular group Mm. in the community so that I can have more balance Mm. in my caseload. That's a a very wonderful conversation to have Mm. as opposed to I'm quitting because I don't have the caseload that I like. Mm. Mm. But also getting a caseload that you like takes work. Because, you know, you have to think about that, like, you want to see these a certain type of person, well, you have to make that certain type of person want to see you as well. And so that requires you to to go out and make yourself known to these sorts of people. And that can happen in a bunch of ways and that kind of refers back to our referrer network and referrer relationships um, episode. But it, it's a two-way street here. Mm. If you want to see or have meaningful work, then, you know, it's definitely a conversation and you need to uh, work with someone to work out well what is meaningful work for you and then there has to be some some time and effort put into it to to do that that is an interesting point it's an interesting point because there can be a perception that well, it's, it's the employer's responsibility to give me the case load that I want. Mm. I don't know. Where do you fall on that? I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. I think um, coming from a, a place of privilege where we have been established for a long time in mm. our community and we have, you know, tentacles spread uh, everywhere... <laughs> In, in our little community. Uh, if somebody comes in and they say, I want to work with this particular client, then we have a way of like giving them a bit of a head start to mm. meet with specific referrers in, yeah. that, in that area. Mm. Uh, that comes from a reputation that we have built over the last 12 years. Mm. So while we can assist in you know, attracting a particular client for a particular practitioner through existing referral networks, it's also going to be on them Mm. to say like, okay, well, I can introduce you to doctor whoever, Mm. but you're the one that actually has to go and impress them. Mm. You're the one that has to go and build the relationship with them. Mm. So they want to refer to you Mm. because they're not going to refer to me Mm. because I don't, that's not my ideal client. Hmm. So you need to impress upon them how you know important you are in the the sphere of patient care or Absolutely. Uh, yeah. team arrangements there. Um, and then at the end of the day it comes down to client experience and word of mouth. So yes, we build those referral relationships, yes, we get the people um, we can get some people uh, of uh, ideal clients through the door 
And then it's about, well, how good of a client experience can we provide? And then uh, if we do do that, well, then generally word of mouth referrals would increase. Mm-hmm. And that's what we want. And that's how you see more of those people. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a two-way street. Definitely a two-way street when it comes to meaningful work. Mm. Mm. Let's, um, let's go to our last topic. And this is one that you want to talk about. <laughs> it is. Um, and I'll just ask you, and you can take wherever you want. Andrew, do employers care about your uh, additional qualifications? My immediate response to that is no. I don't give two shits about your qualifications. I care when, you know, when, particularly from a new graduate perspective, mm. right? Um, when, when we interview people, we interview the person. We don't interview the CV. Mm. We want to understand you as an individual. I don't care if you've done an undergraduate or a master's. I don't care if you've done honours. I don't care if you've done seven degrees. Like, I'm aligning you as a person with the type of clients that we see mm. and the type of team that we have. Mm. So... On my, my first answer to that is I don't give two shits about your qualifications. Mm. Now, where that becomes a little bit more more diluted is where you know you might have a a dual qualification, right? And so you might be going for a role as an EP, but you have a physio and an EP mm. um, uh, background. That, that allows a diversity within a caseload, mm. right? So within a multidisciplinary clinic, if you have dual qualifications, then, then that is valuable, mm. right? Because you could see a wider range of clients. It would theoretically be easier to build a caseload mm. for that person if there are multi-D referrals coming in. Mm. So certainly in that situation, like, yeah, that's, that's really useful. I suppose it's, it's more interesting for me about like, what CPD have you done? To mm. your point before about those 200 CPD courses. Mm. Like, which ones have you chosen? Yeah. Um, and why did you choose those ones? Yeah. That's way more interesting because you are, you are selecting. By, by going through that process, you are saying, like, I want to focus in this particular area. Because mm. you don't do a CPD course to get general knowledge in everything. Mm. You're doing it to get a specific piece of information about an, a niche area. Mm. And I'm more interested in, mm. oh, well, I did this CPD course because I wanted to upskill in this particular area so that I could help this particular client because mm. this is re- someone that I really enjoy working with. Mm. And this is what I learned from that. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Right? Way more interesting. Mm. So to me, CPD. And that doesn't also mean that you have to go and spend thousands of dollars on CPD mm. courses, right? There are podcasts. There are um, free like courses online yeah. where you can go and learn mm. um, that would broaden your skill set to have more meaningful interactions to the clients that you work with. Right? Maybe you're a person who likes to read research. They exist. They, they, they sure do. <laughs> do that. Mm. Talk, talk to me about that. Um, but, but from my perspective, you're not going to stand out just because you have a, another mm. qualification mm. on your CV. Mm. Certainly not going to pay you anymore mm. because why would I? You don't have any experience. 
And, and is that actually going to be relevant for your current job? Mm. Does that affect the uh, where you fall on the award uh, level? Oh, you, you might start trade. to step down, right? You might, yeah. you might earn an extra $4 an hour Wonderful. By, by doing that. Mm. Um, you'd have to check the award for, for the mm. updated. That mm. four is, is a bit of a... Mm. Out of the out of the sky, but but often the answer is no. Often the answer is no. Mm. Often the answer is um, mm. all new people that in this organisation start at this rate because that's fair. We mm. all start at the same. Mm. So don't feel like you're going to earn an extra hundred grand a year just because you've done an extra two years of study. Mm. Like, that's not the way. Yeah, that it works. Also. Uh, don't necessarily think that, well, I've done this course or this, I have this qualification, so that separates me from the other people applying for the job. Mm. And it's like, we are, we are not judging people based off what's written down on the CV here. You know, we look at it, we go, cool, great. There's some things that we can ask this person questions about. Not go, oh, wow, they are high up the list because look at the length of their uh, their qualifications ah, oh they had an HD average at uni as opposed to a distinction or a credit average also don't really care don't care whatsoever <laughs> there's a tip don't even put that shit on you nobody cares I'm sorry but I don't care because just because you're academically smart doesn't mean that you're going to work well communicating mm. with clients. Mm. Like, interview well, prepare for... We've done we've yes. done podcasts on this in, in terms of how to prepare for interviews. But, in, you know, just because you have a what you feel a robust CV is not going to get you the job, mm. right? It is how you present in that mm. interview. It's the care and the, the attention to... Mm. researching that organisation mm. and aligning yourself with them mm. it does go both ways mm. that's why people would select you for roles over others mm. not because you have more letters after your name mm. Mm. we you know if we have a job available uh, and uh, a, a resume a CV comes in We'll look at it, but it takes a really fucking bad CV for us to go, we're not even going to contact that person. We're not even going to email or call them quickly. Like, it's still up to us to do our due diligence to mm. at least call the person. Mm. So don't think that, like, the, the CV is the thing that is going to get you the job or not get you the job, mm. right? Okay. Just because you had a credit average, it's like, oh shit, damn, it's not as good as the HDs. It's like, well, I don't really care to be honest. Mm. If you talk well and you interview well and you shadow well and you do everything else well, great, cool. I don't care you at uni. So to that point then, Archie, like what are you looking for on a CV that's going to make somebody stand out? What am I looking for? A name, a phone number. <laughs> Do you think people should put their their profile their picture on their? Oh uh, no, because I think you're asking for me to be superficial then, <laughs> and 
I don't think that is necessary. I would like good grammar. I would like a cover letter. I would like to see how you write. Mm. Because I personally, if people can't spell or uh, have the name of the business <laughs> or the role they're going for yeah. written in a cover letter, that tells me they don't give a fuck. Mm. Right? That's what I'm not reading. I don't care so much about the actual words and stuff as much as the meaning behind them. And if they haven't bothered to change their cover letter for the job that they're going for, that that's tells a, me... That's a five-second job. Yeah. Yeah, go Finish. onto the website. Look at the kind of people we see. Look at our values. That's not hard. Write those down. Great. Cool. Mm. They've been on our website. They've looked at our values. They know where we are. Mm. They know what kind of clients we see. Cool. Okay, go. And don't, don't spell anything fucking wrong. <laughs> get someone to... <laughs> Get someone to proofread. It's called spell check. Yeah. Just fucking spell check. Yeah. Anyway. That's important. The actual CV. Uh, mm. I, I don't care where you went to school. <laughs> I don't care if you were school captain. Still, I don't oh. care what, what, what school like of sports teams you, um, you played for. Or we're captain on. And I'm guilty of this as well. I definitely put all of that on there because I'm like, well, I'm going to talk myself up as much as possible. Mm. Um, but I really look at, especially for new grads, because in the EPs, at least we hire a lot of new grads, I'll look at the placements they did and just the names of that. And you can't control that, obviously. But I'll look at them because I then want to ask that person questions about them. Um, and I will look at any extra uh, things that they have gone and done personally. So I can yep. ask them about it. Same thing. It's mm. the experience that they've had, mm. right? Um, one of the things that I used to look for quite often is, have you been a personal trainer? Like, have you been yeah. in a gym that's mm. worked with clients? Yeah. And that, it's interesting because that then has transcended into our physiotherapy mm. because it's the same premise, right? Mm. When you do, when you develop that skill, you learn how to communicate mm. with people. That's what's going to make you stand out mm. from from mm. other CVs that come through mm. is an ability to show that you you can engage mm. with your clients, which is so so important mm. for any profession. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. So we went a bit off off topic there. Very off topic. That's something out of the ordinary. No, it's not. So, hmm. we started this conversation around whether whether EPs in particular need a physio masters hmm. in order to get a leg up hmm. or in order to improve their standing hmm. in the community, hmm. in the job, in the workforce. Certainly from our perspective, we don't care. No, you don't need that. There are much better things you can do with your time and your money that will give you a leg up. Much better things you can do than go back to uni. And it's interesting, right? And, and um, as... the to, to take a step back for a minute, how you progress in your remuneration 
from a new graduate up to someone that's been you know, in, the, in the company for 10 or 15 years. Part of that is your clinical skills because you do need to be good at what you do. But then the opportunities that arise for the leaders within those organisations tend to actually be removed from the clinical side of things. Mm. Like you might go, like certainly in rebound, like you go from practitioner to senior practitioner where you're mentoring students to mm. head practitioner where you're in charge of mm. a, a group mm. or a, 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 like a profession mm. to the head of team development where you're in charge of all the professions mm. to then into uh, different roles where you're looking at the operations of the clinic mm. and you're looking at um, refer and nurturing and, mm. and how can we uh, how can we broaden our impact? Mm, mm. As you go through that progression, your, your pay structure will increase as well because from the employer's perspective, it's not about how many clients you can see in a particular week. Mm. It's how many of your team mm. can you influence so they can see mm. more. Mm. So it's actually less about your clinical skills and more about your people management mm. skills. Yeah. That's going to drive your career mm. thereafter. Mm. Because as you start progressing up that ladder, you don't see more clients, you actually see less of them. Yeah. Because your time needs to be devoted to your team, team. rather than to the clients. So, again, like coming back to this point that you don't need to have a physio qualification in order to take a step up into that career, it's actually diversifying your skill set. Mm. in in those careers, in, in those um, career pathways. Mm. And that is, again, coming back to getting experience in mentoring, getting mm. experience in doing CPD courses that mm. aren't like how to fucking rehab a back mm. because you should be doing that in your first three years. Mm. But when you get after that, it's how can I motivate people? How mm. can I motivate the team mm. rather than the clients? How can I... Uh, be an effective leader mm. in this organisation. Mm. That's actually the value as you as you start to progress up those those pay structures mm. becomes far less on mm. your clinical skills. Yeah. So start by being a, a fucking good clinician, and then once you're there, then start. Then then it comes to your point before about leading without a title. Yeah. Take it upon yourself mm. to go and learn some shit yeah. about how to motivate, how to how to create a positive culture or workforce. Yeah. yeah. Um, be a plus. Like, be yeah. a plus to business. Yeah. Mm. And that's where your value will be, and that's mm. where careers can mm. can yeah diversify, increase your value. Read a book. <laughs> Listen to a podcast. Let's do a podcast. Read a book. Anything else? Oh, other than a big, a big oh, sip. The old, the old Bolters is done well. Mm. If being a, if going from being an EP to a physio really is the most important thing in the world to you because it aligns with the impact that you want to have. Mm. Like I said at the top, like, what we've just spoken about for the last 45 minutes mm. is probably irrelevant to you. Mm. But if you feel that 
EP is limiting, mm. it's not, right? Mm. EP is, is a very much a mm. growing profession mm. uh, with more and more organisations being set up all the time. Mm. If you are stuck, don't feel like physio is the answer. Mm. And for reference, I have friends who I did my master's with in EP who are working in solely in athletic populations. I have friends who are working solely with chronic pain, solely with muscular pain, just NDIS, just DBA, just work cover. But there's not, there's not a limit on who you can see because of your qualification. Just, just get to the right place. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Alrighty. We're done. Goodbye. Goodbye.